This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. And I'm Andrew. Hello. Hello, Philadelphia. <laughs> That's a lot of people. I know. <laughs> Welcome to the lovely Tattooed Mom Bar on South Street. Um, I hope that you've all looked around at the wall and picked out your favorite phrase <laughs> that is scribbled on it. Um, yeah, Craig, some of it's illegible. I've gotten a couple that we really enjoy. Um, Fort Tuna. That's out there a lot. Not sure Um, if that's a sexual thing. I don't know. Uh, I heart the Backstreet Boys. It's over by the bar. Burke the Jerk. I don't know. Does anybody know what that means? No one. Great. Awesome. My personal favorite (laughs) is a picture of a camera, and next to it, it says, look in French. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how, like, what is it like? Hey, girl, look in French. Or... Like, how are you feeling today, man? Oh, man, I'm looking French. I'm looking real French. <laughs> uh, another one is, I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope that worked out for whoever wrote that. Uh, so we're here at the Tattoo Mom. We're going to talk about Harper Lee's Go Set a Watchman. Go Set a Watch. Go Set man. a Watchman. Mm-hmm. I don't wear a watch. A- Andrew has an Apple Watch. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> I, wasn't ho- I didn't expect a reaction, but that was good. Uh, since we're in Philadelphia for the third annual Philadelphia Podcast Festival, thanks for having us, by the way. Andrew, you've been to Philadelphia a number of times. I have, it's true. It is a world-class city. I don't know if you knew that. Okay. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Andrew lives in Jersey City. Oh, also, this is a podcast where we talk about books. One of us reads them, and then the other one didn't read them, and we talk about it later. We'll get to that. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> Andrew, do you know which of these famous writers spent time in Philadelphia? Or, excuse me, which of these writers did not? Uh Edgar Allan Poe, Marianne Moore, Jonathan Franzen, no reactions to Jonathan Franzen, (laughs) Um, Ezra Pound, this is way too many, Clifford Odets, Chiara Allegria Hudes of In the Heights. The last one. No, all of them. The answer is all of them. Philadelphia is a great writer's town, which is why we're doing this podcast here. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that, but thank you for telling me. Interesting. A couple other facts about Philadelphia being a world-class city. Did you know, Andrew, that we're going to host the Pope? Yeah. (laughs) But we're also going to host the Dalai Lama. Yeah. And the DNC. One of these things. Oh, and yesterday the Budweiser beer horses were here. The Budweiser beer horses were here. (laughs) Andrew wouldn't let me see them because he was too nervous about the live show. No, I just didn't want to see the Budweiser beer horse. <laughs> uh, we also have some of the world's best donuts. Okay. Federal donuts. Anybody eating federal? All right, great. We're just pandering right now. Yeah. Is anybody here from Philadelphia? <laughs> Here's something you can get behind, Andrew. One of our, fos- our most famous landmarks is a broken bell. Okay. What does that say about our city? You are not good at fixing bells. <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay. Um, we also like cheesesteaks. Do you like cheesesteaks? I love cheesesteaks. Good. Whiz Which wit. Is your whiz wit. Yeah. All right. You know how to order. It's my recipe. Cheese. All right. Cool. Um, and this is for you, Andrew, since you're from the New York area. From hotpads.com, Philadelphia is a lot like Brooklyn, they say, without all the Manhattan attached. <laughs> Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, it's exactly like Brooklyn, except it's nowhere near New York City. Yeah, that's that's great. (laughs) About two hours away. So let's talk about what we're actually here to talk about. All right, so uh, Harper Lee's Ghost at a Watchman. Yes. Which is kind of a sequel, kind of a first draft of To Kill a Mockingbird, which is that other book that she did that some of you might have read at some point in your lives. In high school or in college or 
on your own time. Mm-hmm. And so normally for the show, we will go through some of the things about the author, and then we'll talk about the book. So we have some Harper Lee facts yeah. here. Craig, mm-hmm. tell me some Harper Lee facts. Did you know that her full name is Nell Harper Lee? I Who knew that? that? Did anybody know that? Couple hands. Good. Did you know that Nell is Ellen backwards? Yeah. That's Dropping a, think- some it's a thinker. Bombs. It's a thinker. Yeah. <laughs> it's, her grandma- it's her grandmother's name. That's why. All right. But she went by Harper because she didn't want people calling her Nellie. Yeah. She's not a fan of Nellie's music, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Thanks. Whoever thought that was funny. Uh, she was born in 1926. She's the youngest of three. Her father was a lawyer, which is the, kind of the model for Atticus. Right. I figure we'll talk about Atticus a lot today. Mm-hmm. She was uh, childhood friends with Truman Capote mm-hmm. and uh, helped him write his book, In Cold Blood. That is true. Which we also read. We think, people think that Truman Capote might be the model for Dill, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Mostly because I think of Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Dill. Like, so we just watched the movie yesterday, and the whole time I was just thinking of Philip Seymour Hoffman instead of that goofy-looking kid that was playing Dill. It's um, <laughs> very good. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird won the Pulitzer. I'm sure most of us knew that. Did we all know that Harper Lee was a Mets fan? Thank you, Seth. Thank you, Seth. Um, I brought a couple Mets jokes real quick. <laughs> So, okay, Andrew read the book this week, uh, so he knows most of the stuff that we're going to talk about, so I'm just pandering to the audience. What do you call a Mets player with a World Series ring? A thief. (laughs) How do you make a Mets fan laugh on Monday? Tell him a joke on Friday. (laughs) Because they're slow. I know. What should you do if you find three New York Mets baseball fans buried up to their neck in cement? Get more cement. <laughs> now, the Mets are very good this year. I mean, I don't want them... Yeah, Jess is upset. Um, I, don't want, I don't want them to win, but the, whatever. Um, and the last fact I have, Andrew, is nothing about the Mets. All right, it's more about Harper Lee, which seems more in fitting with what we're doing here. It's on theme. Yeah, it's true. Um, in 2013, Harper Lee, I think aged 87 at the time, sued the Museum of Monroe County, Alabama, the Monroe County Heritage Museum, for using like To Kill a Mockingbird stuff for souvenirs, and their website was tokillamockingbird.com, which I don't think is cool. <laughs> they didn't write the book. Uh, and Harper Lee, or her lawyer, as we'll talk about, Tanya Carter, did not mm. seem to think it was cool. Yeah, well, I mean, um, do you think that Harper Lee is on GoDaddy.com, like, protecting her intellectual property? Like, is that a thing that she does? I don't know if she's heard of Squarespace, no. Okay. I don't know if she's registered her domain name with Squarespace.com. <laughs> uh, Andrew, what do you, we've, we've gone over Harper Lee. Okay. What would you like to talk about next? Um, I think we should talk a little bit about To Kill a Mockingbird, because this, to, to Ghost Out of Watchmen is, like, inextricably linked with this book. Like we said before, it was, um, like, when it was first revealed that it was going to be published, which was back in February... Um, they talked about it being a sequel, even though it had been written before. And then in like the subsequent months, they've talked a little bit more about how it was originally like a first draft of Mockingbird and that there were editors who went through it and turned it into the book that it became. So, uh, let's, let's revisit Maycomb, Alabama. Uh Uh-huh. I do declare. (laughs) You just think everyone in that novel says I do declare. It's it's unspoken after every line of dialogue. So I'm going to, I'm going to (laughs) go... going to go down a list of the things that happen in To Kill a Mockingbird. We're just oh, going to okay. summarize the plot. Okay. And Craig here, since this is a live show and we have you know, the benefit of visuals, Craig here is going to act out <laughs> the book for you so, so as to make it more understandable. Okay. That's so you're in Maycomb, Alabama during the Depression. <laughs> you're poor because everybody's poor. Oh, your pockets full of phone. All right, so these books, this book follows around Jean Louise Scout Finch and her brother Jim and their friend Dill Harris. And they, and they just go around having kid capers, having little kid adventures all the time. Uh, so they act out stories and they play around, and, but eventually they become fixated on uh, their neighbor, uh, Boo Radley. Boo! <laughs> Who is a shut-in? Who nobody nobody's seen 
since he stabbed his mom with the scissors. <laughs> That's Craig's mom. <laughs> and there, yeah, with the scissors. Because he was, well, he was sitting on the floor cutting up the Wall Street Journal or something, and he stabbed her, and then he went back to cutting up the paper. That's true. That really happened. In the book. <laughs> so they never see Boo, but he leaves them some little presents in a tree. He leaves them like little soap figurines of themselves, which is kind of weird. I don't know if anybody's ever done that for anybody in this room, but... <laughs> no, nobody. All right, cool. <laughs> But then the whole, the whole gets cemented up, and they kind of lose their fascination with Boo, and we don't talk about him for a little while. Uh, Scout is starting the first grade, and she's getting in fights uh, for various reasons. Um, and then her brother, Jem, uh, wrecks up a flower bed of an old lady. There you go. Yep. And uh, they're doing all that because people around town are calling Atticus bad things. Like what? Like a Negro lover, except they say bad words. Uh, it turns out that their father, Atticus, is defending a man named Tom Robinson on rape charges. Nothing? All right. Um, he's, been, he's been accused of raping a white woman named Mela Ewell. She called on him to bust up a ship robe. There you go. Back on track. Um, he says that she jumped on him. She says that he raped her. And because, yeah, no, because, and because he and, uh, because she and her father, Bob Ewell, are white. The jury ends up uh, electing to convict him, like he's guilty. Um, so, okay, so even though Bob Ewell has won this case, he's, he's embarrassed because basically everyone believes... This is my only reaction, <laughs> Everyone believes that, that uh, Tom Robinson is not guilty, but because Tom Robinson is black, they've evicted him anyway. You know, it's racism. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, and... <laughs> And Bob Ewell starts, like, he, go, he goes after the judge. He starts going after people who were involved in the case and making him look like a fool. And eventually, uh, Jem and Scout are walking back home from a pageant. Uh, S- Scout is dressed like a ham. I don't know if you can pantomime being dressed as a ham. And it, things look like they're going to be pretty bad. But then Boo Radley saves both of them. Boo! <laughs> and Bob, and Bob, Bob Ewell ends up dead with a knife in his belly. And... Um, the that's sheriff, the book, yeah, right? that, that's basically right, the book. Like right, the, the sheriff knows that Boo did it, but because Boo is a recluse and he doesn't like, he's not gonna actually. He's too hurt shy. Anybody. He's too shy to be, to be tried for his crimes, and so <laughs> they say that to Bob Ewell fell on his knife and he died. I hear that happens a lot. People who are too shy don't go to court. Yeah, no, that was that's why that's why I'm still sitting here. That's why I beat the rap. <laughs> You have plenty of unpaid parking tickets, but you're too shy to settle that up. So that's To Kill a Mockingbird. Why do people love this book so much, Andrew? People love it because, one, it, Atticus rules. Like he, <laughs> He's like America's dad, right? He like is he, America's dad. He, um, he's very progressive in a society that does not allow for like a lot of pro- progressivism. So he's like seeing um, black people as like equal to white people, which in 1930s in Alabama, you can imagine was pretty innovative. Yes. Um, and I think people like it because of the tone and because of the way it's broken up. Like it's, it's presented as a bunch of small stories. So you have the adventures of Jem and Scout and Kid Capers. Yeah. Kid Capers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, they're just a bunch of little, they're little vignettes that happen. Like, uh, they're across the street neighbor, Miss Maudie, her house burns down. And so you're reading about like the town coming together and putting the putting the fire out, and then at the end it's revealed that Boo Radley like snuck a blanket around Scout's shoulders. Which is really creepy. Which is creepy, but it's so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Boo Radley gets a lot of passes in this book. He does get a lot of passes in this book. (laughs) But it's it's the way it's it's written from like a child's perspective, but Mm -hmm. filtered through an adult's perspective, and so you get a child's understanding of racism, which is like why is racism a thing? Yeah, we were talking about that yesterday, like. It is a complicated, terrible thing, and it's so complicated, which is why it is still like happening. Like mm-hmm. you can't, there's no magic bullet to it, right? But yeah. a kid is the is the perfect audience to say like, just stop it, just like stop. Yeah, I mean, she says she doesn't like she doesn't understand the difference between white folks and colored folks. Like there are just folks. Yeah, which yeah. is a good line. But um, so people getting into people's problems with Watchmen, or did you want to talk about like the this this book's like complicated path toward? Oh, we should do that first. All right, hit me. Okay, great. 
So who was like aware that this book was happening? Everyone like, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah I can't tell if we're doing a hand raise or a clap thing. It's totally, we've never done this before. Um, so Ghost of a Watchman was written in 1957. Um, and for reference, To Kill a Mockingbird was published in 1960. So. Yeah. So Lee writes Ghost of a Watchman, sends it to J.B. Lippincott and Co., uh, which later became Harper, which became Harper Collins, all that kind of stuff. And her editor, Tay Hohoff. It's a good name. It's a great name. Uh, <laughs> she says it's good, uh, but you could make it better. And so Lee reportedly put it away and thought it was lost. Right. Like Hohoff told her, I see the most promise for this book in the scenes where you go back to Scout's childhood and talk about like their childhood adventures. Because Ghost Side of Watchmen is taking place from like the perspective of, of a 26-year-old adult scout. And so you do revisit uh, their childhood a few times, but that's not like the, the main thrust of the book the way it is in Mockingbird. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, as like the casual book reader and buyer, right, we don't encounter Watchmen, yeah, raise your hand, um, <laughs> until Watchmen now, we don't encounter Watchmen until now, when um, Tanya Carter, Lee's lawyer and mm-hmm. close confidant, mm-hmm. says that she discovered it going through Lee's manuscripts in 2014. And starts reading it and is like, oh, this is kind of like that book I already know. Eh, it's a little different. And maybe Atticus is a little more racist. And it's set 20 years later. This is probably a different book. And, and Lee was like, what are you talking about? And then she figured it out. She said it was Go Set the Watchman. And mm-hmm. Lee corrected her as Go Set a Watchman. It's a big difference. <laughs> um, the contradictory story is that in 2011, there was a Sotheby's appraiser named Justin Caldwell who traveled to Monroeville, Alabama, where Lee is staying, and apparently met with Tanya Carter and a man named Samuel Pincus, who used to be Lee's agent, uh, and they were going over like her manuscripts, right? It was like mm-hmm. appraising things in a security deposit right, box. Right, like there was some stuff in a lockbox, and they thought that the manuscript of Mockingbird was going to end up being valuable, but it ended up being like a publisher's proof or something. And I'm not in publishing, so I don't know what anything is worth, but apparently... <laughs> Publishing proof, not as cool as original manuscript. As original manuscript. Yeah. Um, and Justin Caldwell claims that in 2011, he read the thing that would become Ghost at a Watchman. Uh, Tanya Carter claims that she left the room for a hot second and didn't come back, and that maybe never happened. And like, like she never asked anybody about it, and I just don't, I don't understand how that could have happened. Like, what errand was she sent out on? That she totally missed the unearthed. Tony, can you please go get us some donuts? We're just going to read this precursor to the most famous book in American literature. That's totally fine. I need pumpkin spice latte, like real bad. (laughs) Jones in. It is not pumpkin time, Andrew. Pumpkin time all the time. That pumpkin creep. Um, (laughs) The other kind of interesting tidbit that's happened since the announcement of the of uh, to go set a watchman. I keep calling it to go set a watchman. It's not. It's fine. Just keep going. Thank you. Um, this is live, people. <laughs> we can't edit it in post. <laughs> uh, that in earlier this year, the state of Alabama sent people to Lee's uh, like this facility where she's staying, mm-hmm. um, the elderly care home, to make sure that she was okay. To like, to like act- make sure she was mentally sound and like able to make the decision to release this book in the first place. Which I just. Yeah, her sister had passed away a couple months. A couple before months before the announcement. Alice Lee, mm-hmm. yeah, who died at the age of one hundred and three, which is good job. One hundred and three, that's impressive. Um, and so that we're not really sure if Tanya Carter is like taking advantage of her. We don't think that's the case. That most of the jokes and like in, in popular imagination, she's kind of this predatory yeah. person who is trying to get as much money as she can from her enfeebled client but like you know we don't we don't know for sure like what what is happening and and you know the the board that went and like evaluated her mental health came and said she was fine like we've gotten some statements from her through Tony Carter it's worth mentioning but we've got statements from her that say she's fine and she's dead chuffed about this whole go set a watchman <laughs> thing but like that that dead like chuffed dead chuffed all right uh, that um ambiguity has driven like a lot of the conversation around this book, I guess. Yeah. Well, oh, and we were talking yesterday about um, Samuel Pincus, who mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, was at that lockbox scenario. He was sued by Harper Lee in 2013 because he had started up some shell companies that were like funneling royalties from To Kill a Mockingbird 
Um, he had like convinced her to transfer the copyright, and then there was a whole case to get it back to Harper Lee. So giving Harper Lee the benefit of the doubt, you could see why she would really put most of her faith in Tanya Carter and say, take care of my stuff. Like, take care of my affairs. Oh, you found this book? Great. Wonderful. You know, don't keep it secret, but keep it safe. Yeah. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, it is worth, it's worth noting that Tanya Carter worked at the same practice yes. that, like, her father worked at. And, and, and so her sister. Yeah. yeah, right. So the, there's, like, a bond of trust there. That, yeah. yeah. So do you want to get into the book? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it, I guess. Should we start with <laughs> Mr. Finch, though? Let's start with just talking about the book, Great. generally speaking. Sure. So, so Ghost Out of Watchmen is set, it was written before Mockingbird, but it's set 20 years after Mockingbird takes place. So mm-hmm. Scout is coming back from New York. She's 26 years old. She's coming back home to her hometown. The thing about this book, and I think that, like, if you know that it was originally like a draft of To Kill a Mockingbird, you can kind of sense this in the text, but it's not as pointed, like, it's not as plot-driven it's just a lot of people like talking a lot, okay. which I think is a common thing that happens in first drafts. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, Scout, Scout comes home. She, you know, Atticus, on the surface, is the same Atticus that we already know from Mockingbird. So he lives the same way in private as he does in public. Like, he's a very honorable man, like role model, that kind of thing. But she ends up going to a meeting where her father and her friend slash romantic interest, uh, Hank, and some other people are talking about ways to keep the white man safe and like keep the white man stuff protected from the colored people. And so she's like this kind of rocks her world because he's been her moral compass for all these years. And the rest of the book is just kind of her processing this and her confronting him and then them kind of coming to an uneasy truce by the end of it. And that like there's nothing to act out. Like that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of the book. Um I mean we can do you know, c- characters from Mockingbird show up here. Yeah, can we do a, um, like, a where are they now? Like, how's Dill doing? Uh, Dill is in Italy. We don't see him. He's just a traveler. <laughs> He's a world traveler. He, oh, he, okay. he was in the war, and he went to Italy, and then he decided never to come back. How is Miss Maudie doing? Miss Maudie is mentioned once, but not really fleshed out very much, which is a common thing. Like, there are a lot of characters in Mockingbird who are either mentioned in passing in this book or just aren't there at all. So, okay. so I guess she hadn't, like, fleshed them out What's yet. Boo Radley up to? Don't hear anything about Boo or any of the Radleys. That's a disappointment. What Do you about- want a bummer? Do you want a bummer? I was, I kind of, how's, how's Jim? He died two years ago. No! You just made a lot of people sad. How do you well, feel about I mean, it's, that? It's because but, yeah, if you've read Mockingbird, you know that Atticus is like a single father and their mother died a few years before the action of the book. So whatever congenital heart condition it was that she died from, Jem also Did he serve from. in any of the wars? I don't recall. At the time, when, when he collapsed, he was working with Atticus at the law firm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so this, this character, who actually I don't think is in Mockingbird at all, Henry Clinton, who they call Hank, has kind of taken, like, Atticus has adopted him kind of as a son, and he's working at the law firm, but, like, he's also romantically interested in Scout, which is something that the Gem character obviously could not have done, no matter how far south you go. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) You're a monster. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, what is the... uh, what is the the main difference in Scout's relationship to Atticus in this book? Because like that parental relationship is the bedrock of Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Like it is idealized. It is you know she ha- she's upset with him because she's six or seven and you know doesn't understand everything Mostly about the world. Mostly she's scared of disappointing him. Yeah, which is very sweet. Yeah, um, she doesn't. What is the relationship in this book if she's you know twenty years older mm-hmm. and coming back and. Is it a story about being disillusioned? Is it a story about, you know, what is that about? Yeah, I think it's, it's equal parts like a story about being disillusioned, a story about realizing that your parents are also people. Mm-hmm. And like Atticus, at least the, in the beginning of this book, like for the first hundred pages, you have no reason to believe that Atticus is anything other than the, the literary figure that you grew up knowing and loving. Yeah, yeah. And then, oh, all of a sudden he's at a terrible hate speech meeting. Like, cool. <laughs> oh, no. And like the reader, the reader kind of feels that with, Scout, like, I, I don't know if that happens, like, absent Mockingbird. Like, if, if we didn't already know about Atticus Finch from the book and the movie, I don't know if we would feel the same way. But I thought it was, I thought it was interesting that I'm, I'm reading this 
and here's Atticus Finch sitting here while, the, while this guy talks about separate but equal and, and Dude, all that fun stuff. So I found some quotes of Atticus's that I think we all will remember, or at least be like, oh, that's the Atticus Finch I know. That's Gregory Peck. Um, so we're going to go back and forth. <laughs> he looks like if Clark Kent was Superman at the same time, if I, as I remember Gregory Peck. He, <laughs> okay. he's, he's a very strong but nerdy looking like man. Like Superman's dad. Yeah, he is... <laughs> Jor-El, is that his name? <laughs> I don't yeah. um, So the, the first quote, I, we're going to go back and forth, right? Compare we're old gonna, Atticus. We're going to compare Mockingbird Atticus to a ghost set of Watchmen okay. Atticus. So he says to Scout at one point, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it, which sounds a little gross, but I get what he's saying. This could be a little ser- serial killer-y. Yeah. <laughs> Um, honey, you do not seem to understand that the Negroes down here are still in their childhood as a people. Okay, Atticus. The entire room takes in a breath. I'm going I'm to see your Atticus and raise you an Atticus. Okay. Before I can live with other folks, I've got to live with myself. The one thing that doesn't abide by majority rule is a person's conscience. And that's, he's talking to Scout about why he needs to go ahead with the case and defend Tom Robinson, even though the town is going to kind of you know, be upset. Do you want Negroes by the carload in our schools and churches and theaters? Do you want them in our world? Yes. <laughs> Are you asking? <laughs> no, he's asking Jean oh. Louise Finch. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, here's Atticus at, in the closing statements of the trial of Tom Robinson. The witnesses for the state, with the exception of the sheriff of Macomb County, have, prevent, have presented themselves to you gentlemen, to this court, in the cynical confidence that their testimony would not be doubted, confident that you gentlemen would go along with them on the assumption, the evil assumption, that all Negroes lie, that all Negroes are basically immoral beings, that all Negro men are not to be trusted around our women, an assumption one associates with minds of their caliber, which, gentlemen, we know is in itself a lie as black as Tom Robinson's skin, a lie I do not have to point out to you. You know the truth. And the truth is this. Some Negroes lie. Some Negroes are immoral. Some Negro men are not to be trusted around women, black or white. But this is a truth that applies to the human race and to no particular race of men. Good job, Atticus. What would happen if all the Negroes in the South were suddenly given full civil rights? Would you want your state governments run by people who don't know how to run them? Would you? So, what happened to him? There are a couple different theories. The one, the one that I like the most is that, you know, uh, Atticus is based on Harper Lee's dad, um, whose name I have written down here somewhere. Uh, my notes are on the floor. I can't help you. Amesa Coleman Lee. Sure. I don't know that I'm pronouncing that correctly, but there you go. Great. Um, he was originally a segregationist. But he changed his mind, like as Lee was working on To Kill a Mockingbird, and so as as her father changed, so Atticus changes. And in in interviews, she didn't give very many interviews, especially I think her last public one was in '64 or '67, something like, like that. Something yeah, like not. There was like recently. a in the '90s or something like that. She hung out with Oprah, but like didn't do an interview. She was like, "We'll be <laughs> friends. It's totally cool. We can hang out." Let's not lie. Like if Oprah wants to hang out with you, you take the call. Yeah. <laughs> She might give you a car. <laughs> it's an easy joke. Thank you. <laughs> we, didn't we, plan, <laughs> we didn't plan for this part where one of us just breaks. Um, or, well, seriously. We were talking about Atticus and her father and how Atticus changed. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that's, that's the version of events that I choose to believe. It was like as, she, as she was refining like the rough text, and if you read Go Set a Watchman, like, I, I think it is a rough book. Mm-hmm. Um, like so, so much of it is people kind of talking at each other, which is not usually a really interesting way to write a novel. Like the whole last chapter, like the big confrontation between Scout and Atticus, where she says, "You know, you failed me. Like I am so disappointed in you, and and like this can never be made right." It's all just it's all just people yelling at each other, and it's it's <laughs> I, I think it's robbed of something by okay. that. Like it just seems very obvious and. I could see why an editor or a publisher would see something in that and then refine it into Mockingbird, but like by itself, I don't know that it's a super compelling story thread. I don't know. Yeah, because this has been part of the reaction to the book, right? Is that people have been upset that, oh no, Atticus is racist now. Like, that guy I loved so much is, has changed. 
where what we're actually reading is an earlier draft of a character. It's not mm-hmm. a person that has gone through some sort of transformation right. for for the worse from our perspective. It's more this was a character and thanks to her editor, mm-hmm. Tay Hohoff. Hohoff. Uh <laughs> she she changed the character theoretically for the better. Yeah. Is that was that your assessment I of mean, it? I mean d- I don't think that Ghost a Watchman published in 1960 would have become like an enduring work of American fiction. Like it does Mm, grapple with some interesting ideas, but I don't think it's, it's the um, aspirational work that Mockingbird was. Do you think it's, is it a book that bemoans more than Mockingbird is a book that like hopes? Kind of, I guess like you, you as the reader are, you do want to sympathize with Scout. Like as a modern reader, you want to sympathize with Scout. Um, but that's not like I don't know if you if that's a book that that people want to read. You know, I don't I don't know if I don't know if you want to read some some girl like yelling at her dad. I don't know. I think like I, <laughs> it, well, it's I, not I just some it's, girl, right? It's, it's scout. No, I mean it's scout. But I think I think that's not you know that's not a thing that doesn't happen. Like I think a lot of us have maybe gone away from home, come back, and found that maybe our parents aren't as we remembered them being or like they're 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 not perfect beings like maybe they have ideas that do not mesh with new ideas that we picked up like wherever we went my um, mom was surprised when i came back from college and liked sushi yep. <laughs> i came back <laughs> i came back from rural ohio with a taste for sushi <laughs> i think it wasn't just that she was like confused about me liking sushi i think she was worried for my health well yeah the fact that you you <laughs> You, Where were they getting the fish, you Andrew? Ate, you, you ate sushi in rural Ohio, and you didn't end up in a hospital. You're the beating, odds were slim. Beating the odds. <laughs> now, your your parents are from rural Ohio. They are from rural Ohio. Have have they changed in your eyes? Not really, but I did like. <laughs> I mean, I did. I had a moment when I when I could put myself in their shoes yeah. and walk around. Atticus style. Wear their skin. Gross. Right. And I could wear yeah. my wear my dad's skin around. And I think it was when my is when my, <laughs> is when dad's my got good skin. I was you know. when my first student loan letter came. Oh yeah. And I knew that while we were growing up, like my parents had kind of been in debt the whole time and mm-hmm. they had like me and two other kids and they were trying to like provide for them and do right by them, but also had this cloud like hanging over them. And you open up this envelope and you're like, Oh, that's a lot of zeros. <laughs> Like, how do, you, how do you cope? Like, what do you do? And yeah. so that's like a more positive thing, like coming home and realizing that your dad's super racist, but I think it's the... <laughs> I, I had a quick second where I had to realize you were talking about Atticus again. Yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> well, and I'm at, I'm at a point right now where my birthday's next month, and I will be 29? Nice. Oh, man. Um, Enjoy it while you can. <laughs> Uh, I know, and I'm and I'm at the point now where I will be a, a year away from when my mom had me, which is crazy. Because <laughs> if I, if I was going on my third kid right now, oh yeah, we wouldn't be doing a podcast. We would not be doing a podcast. <laughs> we would not be in an awesome bar at two in the afternoon on a Saturday. I would, if I was lucky, be outside in a park or like playing with Legos. Or you could just be like a really crappy dad. Uh, yeah, that is <laughs> also true. Way. I could be recording a podcast and my kid could resent it. Yeah, that is another life that I could be leading right now. <laughs> I think I think Mockingbird has bigger things to say. Okay, than such as Watchmen does. Just just you know, people are people are equal. Yeah. That that general thing, like all the Atticus quotes that you read about, about how you know trying to understand other people and trying to put yourself in their shoes and trying to see past superficial things and really like understand how people work. Is there in Watchmen a kind of like a B narrative? Like Boo Radley is this kind of like alternate path of understanding the other in the mm-hmm. book in Mockingbird, mm-hmm. um, where you know. They stare at this house and they're like, "What's going on in there? I don't understand all uh, these people." He stabbed his mom or his dad or whatever the story is. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. That person is like a, a monster that I can't identify with. And then you know, at the end of the book, Scout very adorably goes, "Hey, boo. Hey, boo. Hey, boo." Um, is there a is there a similar arc in this book, or is it really just, "Hey, Dad, I'm home. Whoa, you're super <laughs> racist now." Like, is that? 
<laughs> what else is going on? I mean, to, in... the, to the extent that there is a B narrative. So we talked before about how um, Lee's editor picked up the stuff about her That's and, true. and Jem and Dill being kids. Yeah. To the extent that there is a B narrative, you go back in time to like remember Atticus as Scout remembers him. Okay. As like this source of stability and like moral righteousness. And, and, and in that, there are some entertaining stories. So there's, this, there's a story where Scout is 14. Okay. And she's going to the school dance. And she's wearing a dress, but she's not like filling it out up top. Where is, this, where is this going? So she gets like tatting <laughs> okay. for her dress. So okay. she can fill it out up top. Sure. I've heard tell of this. <laughs> and it comes to her attention like late in the dance. Like it's been going well, but it comes to her attention that they have like shifted around. Oh no. And like one is like here and one is over here. Oh no. And she's, she's super embarrassed. And so her crush, Hank, takes them out and just throws them away so she stops worrying about them. That's like weird implications yeah. that I'm not okay with. Well, so the next morning, the principal marches them all outside and there are like padded boobs hanging <laughs> off the sign. <laughs> and he's, he's not happy about it and he says, I, I know who did this, but the person who did should have a written confession on my desk by noon. You know, they, that system trying never to flush works. you out. Trying that to system you never out. works. And so Jem, I believe, talks to Atticus about it and he implies that they should go full Spartacus. And so by the time by the time Scout has laid the I did this note on his desk, a hundred and nine other kids have also laid that note on his desk. Male and female both? I don't know. It's not that's made some clear. Strong, that's some great but solidarity. Yeah, basically yeah, Spartacus. <laughs> I know who Spartacus is. Okay. He's I the guy he, he stands up and he says, I'm Spartacus and then other people do it too and so nobody knows who Spartacus actually is. Have you does Great. everybody right. die at the end of that movie? I, I don't know. know. Okay. Um, but yeah, Thanks. like that, that kind of self... Now, I don't think anybody died at the end of this vignette, but like that kind of... <laughs> that kind of little story brings some joy to this that it might not otherwise Well, yeah, because that's you know? a hallmark of the original book, and that's... We talked about Kid Capers earlier. Like, it's that my is... Favorite, my favorite reality show. Kid Capers. <laughs> um, short-lived Nickelodeon show that doesn't exist. Um, I, that's one of the things I remember strongly about the book is these little, you know, part of them are about seeing Atticus anew or seeing themselves anew, Mm -hmm. right? Um, be it the rabid dog incident or hanging out with Miss DuBose, Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, kind of the evolution of Scout through early womanhood and expectations of being a, a young girl. Right, because I mean, the big thing is that Jem is, Jem, Jem is hitting puberty and she's still a kid, and yeah. so she feels him pulling away from her, and that, that's, aside from the Scout-Atticus relationship and the courtroom and everything, like that's one of the big threads in that book that really resonates, I think. Um, um, but so that is like sort of a part of this book, but not really? Is what not you're really. I mean, yeah. Jem's not around anymore. So most of the... Most of the story is like her relationship with Hank, which is not very interesting. Because well, like he he <laughs> wants her wrong with Hank? he wants her to marry him, and for her, for her she's like a, he's like a symbol of like Maycomb, of like all this sort of town that she's coming to realize like does not hold the same values that she does, and maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't even want her around, and like she just realizes that she's not part of his world. Mm. Um, and then the other thread is her dealing with Atticus being not the person who she thought he was. Um, but yeah, the, one of the things about, about Watchmen that just, I mean, I came down just to, just to be clear, like I came down on the side of not liking this book all that much. I think much. you decided that today. I did. Yeah. Cause I was still <laughs> working through it. Um, so I mean, I've, some of you said to me that you hadn't read it, didn't plan to read it. Like, I don't, I don't think you're missing a lot, mm. but like, they're just like, I'm going to read some turns of phrase from Mockingbird. And this is like an example of the stuff that's in Mockingbird that I really like about it that I just couldn't find in Watchmen. Okay. Um, so here's one. Uh, talking, to Francis, talking to Francis gave me the sensation of settling slowly to the bottom of the ocean. He was the most boring child I ever met. <laughs> uh, North Alabama was full of liquor interests, big mules, steel companies, Republicans, professors, and other persons of no background. <laughs> and ladies and bunches always filled me with vague apprehension and a firm desire to be elsewhere, but this feeling was what Aunt Alexandra called being spoiled. <laughs> So she just she just has a way of like summing up something. You know, it's 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 an, in an unconventional way. Like yeah. I would not think of talking to a boring person like settling to the bottom of the ocean. But <laughs> you're like, yeah, <laughs> I get it. 
<laughs> well, she also has a really good way of sneaking in references to the world outside the book. Like, um, I was reminded yesterday of that really wonderful passage in the beginning of Mockingbird where she says, uh, and Maycomb had recently been told that we had nothing to fear but fear itself. And it's like that subtle nod to... What else is happening. What else is happening. Like they mentioned Hitler once and the teacher says that she hates Hitler and she goes home and asks Atticus why why they hate Hitler. And Yeah. So yeah. It, what's going on around Watchmen? Is there any nods to that? I mean, Because like, biggest... it is set in the 50s. So right. we're in like Brown v. Board. We're in... Bus boycotts. We're a couple years away from the Civil Rights yeah. Act. Like, what is going on? So that, that, yeah, that's a good. That's a good note to like close our discussion of this book on, because Atticus is ground that he stands on. And I think, if, I mean, we did an episode last week where we talked about the South a bit, and we talked about the lost cause of the Confederacy, yeah. where like they'd felt that their values were being suppressed by people coming in from the North and telling them what to do. And that's basically Atticus's thing. Is like Brown v. Board of Education is the one that rules. You know, separate and equal is not. It's not cool. It's not constitutional. You can't do that. And Atticus thinks, okay, the colored people, black people down here, however you want to refer to it in the book, um, that's the least uncomfortable for us sure. two white dudes in 2015. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're coming along fine at their own pace, and then the government comes down. And tries to what was that? The government oh, okay. comes down and tries to say, you know, we need to integrate them and we need to do all the stuff, and they're just they're not ready for it yet. And yeah, that's that's it's complicated, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's saying that the the people like the NAACP, the Supreme Court, they don't understand what's going down here. They've just declared like carte blanche, all this stuff needs to happen, and now we've got to like deal with it and we've got to protect our own, however however we can. Yeah, and it's not like. It's not great. It's not like a viewpoint that I agree with. But if, if you're talking about a 72-year-old man, even if he's like a liberal white yeah, man yeah. in the South at this time, like part the the resolution of the book, like sucks as it is, is one scout kind of coming to terms with them, just having different opinions about it. Sure. And two, um, so this this comes into what the title of the book means is uh, there is a. Bible verse that's mentioned about midway. Craig, do you know what the oh where it is in the Bible? Yeah, find it's it? Isaiah Isaiah twenty one six. Uh, For thus hath the Lord saith unto me, Go set a watchman, let him declare what he seeth. And um, Scout's uncle says to her, um, Every man's island, Jean Louise. Every man's watchman is his conscience. And he tells her, basically, you've had your conscience, your like moral compass has been tied to Atticus's for your entire life. And it's really important that you realize, one, that he's a man, and two, like, you need to find like, your own way forward. You need to find what you think is right and stand up for it. When, when, yeah. when you say that, realize that he's a man, like, he is... He's a human. Ju- he, is a, he is just, he is a, just human a man. With, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he is not a man. <laughs> he is a man. He's just yeah. a, guy he's a guy with some views that he's are human. uncomfortable. And yeah. arthritis. And arthritis? Yeah, he has arthritis. Okay. <laughs> Um, that's, I mean, that's... That's the book, right? Yeah, I mean... How do you read this book? Do you read it going, like... Well, you start on the first page. Oh, stop it. And then you read each word in succession. Those form sentences. And then enough sentences together form a chapter. And then all the chapters together form a book. You are so smart. I know. I mean... (laughs) Do you read it feeling like it's a draft? Do you... Like, because you said earlier, if this book came out in the 60s on its own... You, you don't think it would have set the world ablaze. Like, reading it now, are you, you're reading an ancillary document to To Kill a Mockingbird? It's really... It's hard to separate yeah, that, right? Yeah, well, the rough thing, and some, this is what some people are worried about, is are people going to read this and not be aware of, like, the context and think that, oh, this is actually intended to be a sequel to Mockingbird. So, there oh, are, yeah. I mean, there are some key differences that clue the reader in. Like, so Tom Robinson's case in Mockingbird, he loses and it sucks. Yeah. Um, the time that the case is mentioned in this book, they actually got an acquittal. Okay. And, I mean, that's... There are hints that you're not dealing with, like, the same world, but, like, there's no foreword to explain, like, the deal with this book. There's nothing to explain it other than that it's Macomb, Alabama, World of Tequila Mockingbird 20 years later. And Harper Collins kind of made a big deal that they didn't really edit it. Like, they just did some... Lightly co- copy edit. Yeah, lightly. I found one typo. <laughs> just one. <laughs> and they even said in an interview that they didn't even speak with her directly. Like, they just spoke before the book was, like, kind of... To, like, get her permission, basically, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So it's just an interesting thing that they just kind of like found in a drawer and said, yeah. here you go. Like if you're interested in the writing process, if you're yeah. interested in, in like there's the, uh, there's a great New York times article about her editor, Tay Hohoff. Yeah. And the back and forth between her and her editor and like coming up with Mockingbird and refining it and making it into the book that I think really, if you're interested in the process at all, like it's a really good, it's what the writer editor relationship should be. Mm-hmm. Like so many writers think that editors are just there to like, put their genius under a bushel <laughs> and okay. hide their light from everybody. Do like, you feel that on a daily basis as a writer? Not daily. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But it's a, it's a really good it's a really good vision of how that back and forth is supposed to work. And if you read, you know, if you read how they work together, if you read this book and if you read Mockingbird, you can see that path and I think it's really really interesting as an example of that. As its own book, as a sequel to Mockingbird, I think it's it's it could only be disappointing, right? Sure. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean this is Mockingbird is Harper Lee's only book and it's a classic and how do you follow that? Yeah. You don't. You don't. Usually. Why did you do this? <laughs> yeah. Hey everybody, this is Craig. And this is Andrew. Great. Thanks. Those guys you were just oh listening to for forty God. minutes. So we are recording this after the fact, obviously. Uh and we just wanted to thank everybody for a listening to the live show which you just did if you're listening to this now or the people who came and saw it which was awesome. especially the people who came yeah especially it's not people. the people who just listen like that's not that hard to do <laughs> i mean like 45 don't minutes. feel don't feel don't feel too proud of yourself all right is all you could okay uh that seems a little mean but thanks to uh nathan and tegan at the philly Podfest, as well as everyone at the tattooed mom for hosting a great event uh, it was really fun, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm gonna get into like dangerous, simple platitudes if I just keep going. Andrew. <laughs> and we just we we got to hang out with some people, and we it's like some people came from Cleveland, and some people came from Delaware, and DC. And, it was pretty great, and DC. Yeah, it's kind of nuts the lengths people went to to like see the the dumb book show that we do. So that was it was. <laughs> Good, and I guess we know now that the show works live in front of people, so that that is going to mean that we're going to try harder to get other live shows off the ground in the next, I don't know what kind of time frame, but it's going to happen, right? Yeah, there'll be a time frame. Uh, if you were at the show and you want to like send us a cool message, you could uh, shoot that to overduepod at gmail.com or twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. Some of you did that already. Uh, if you weren't there and you want to tell us what you think about what happened, or if you've read the book and you have thoughts, the book Ghost at a Watchman, you could uh, use those social media outlets to do so. Uh, we got some nice emails in response to both 1984 and our Hobbit episode. Sean and Victoria both wrote in, uh, rewrote in a new listener. Jack wrote in who found us through HeadGum, which is super cool. Um Victoria suggested we do more Shakespeare, Andrew. I figure we'll get around to that at some point. Yeah, it's hard because we've both read most of the big ones, so we'll either have to have other people on to do it or we'll have to start getting out into the weeds, which either either way could work. But I think when people say read Shakespeare, they they mean like Hamlet. They don't mean like, yeah. what's an obscure Shakespeare play? <laughs> uh, King Lear 2. Well, that would be very obscure because I don't know that that exists. Uh, but King John would be a pretty obscure one. It's a history that nobody does. Um, but anyway, a whole bunch of people reach out to us on social media. Uh, I'm going to do the list until I run out of breath. Are you ready? Okay, go. Hooray, Josh, Glenn, Whedon, Lee, Jillian, Catherine, Sophie, Alicia, Amanda, Stacy, Amy, Ron, and Lot's wife of fandom, Anna, Linux, Librarian, Beth, Rebecca, T, the 25 o'clock podcast, Tegan, the Philly podfest, L, Rothschild, Terry, Drew, JD, Rachel, Pete, Tysophine, Robert, Zim, Renee, Connor, Kevin, Julia, Dasha. I'm out. All right, great. There's more people. We didn't start the fire. <laughs> it was always burning since the world's been turning. Steve is on Heim. Is that what he yells? What does he yell? What else do I have to say? <laughs> he yells Leonard Burst. Uh, there are plenty of people have been reaching out on social media. It's great. I want to thank the HeadGum Network uh, for supporting us in the past couple of weeks. It's been great. They've been really welcoming. You should check out their other shows. Apparently, the Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood show just had Keegan-Michael Key on to talk about Sidney Poitier. Uh, so that might be something that you're interested in. Uh, yeah. And um, I've been listening to some Twinovation lately. Oh, that one looks good. Show, I haven't listened to that one yet. The show where they come up with fake inventions to try and make some money. The The latest episode had, 
they called it a belly butt off and it's like a <laughs> sticky pacifier that you put in your belly button to keep lint out of there. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that a lot. Oh, go to the website. Over, oh, yeah. Overduepodcast.com. <laughs> I don't remember how much of this we did at the live show. So, okay. Overduepodcast.com is your web destination for all things overdue. Um, up there, you can find our iTunes and Stitcher and RSS feeds. If you subscribe in iTunes, leave a rating or review. We've had a few people who have done that in the last, I don't know, couple weeks. Uh, Grave Fly Choir, M. Chris Smither, Dave 3, or maybe Dave <laughs> Dave three is a great name. Keep it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you want to financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash overdue pod and find out more about that there. Um, I also know that I, for some reason, forgot to say, try to be happy, you know, like our sign off phrase that we say at the end of every show. Forgot to say that at the live show because I think I was just like relieved and pleased. <laughs> you were to trying be done. to be relieved at that point. And we'll see you next week with, um, what is it, Fellowship of the Ring? Fellowship of the Ring. The first of our three Lord of the Rings episodes. Uh, so let's start the thank you train, Andrew. Okay. Where do we start? It's leaving the station. It's leaving the station. <laughs> I don't know where my notes are. Um, so thanks, Tattooed Mom. Uh, they're an awesome venue, as we said. Woo! And we are just at the forefront of the third annual Philadelphia Podcast Festival. There's stuff going on the rest of this weekend and next weekend. So if you don't have Labor Day plans, you should probably... Is that next weekend? Labor Day? I don't even know. (laughs) What day is it? I don't know. Um, So you should come back here and check that stuff out. Their website, I think, is phillypodfest.com, right? Is that right? Great. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also wanted to thank my mom, who's here, at Tattooed Mom. I don't... I don't know if she has any tattoos, and I'm not going to ask about that. Um, <laughs> uh, if you want to learn more about the show, you go to OverduePodcast.com. Yeah, we have more about the show there. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, our RSS feed. Um, thank you to all of our patrons who have financially supported us Made this for possible. so many yeah. months who, who've been so great. Um, thank you to our friends and family who are here. Thank you to my wife, Susanna. Hi. <laughs> great. I think that's it. Thanks for coming, everybody. That was a HeadGum Podcast.